Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Welcome to another podcast from Muslim Birth World. Today we're joined with Chantal Blake, who is a womb wellness educator. Inshallah, she's going to share with us all about what she does. And I will not say any more, but I'll hand you straight over to Chantal, inshallah. Assalamu alaikum, sis. Thank you for the invitation to, to join you today and to share a bit about what I do. Um, so if you know, um, so for those of you who haven't met me before, my name is Chantal Blake and I'm the founder of Honored Womb. So as a womb wellness educator, I help women break cycles of painful periods and hormonal chaos. Um, but I'm also a certified womb steaming facilitator. And in the practice of this traditional self-care, um, this practice of womb steaming, I'm able to not only support women who are dealing with reproductive challenges or experiencing menstrual challenges, hormonal challenges, et cetera, but I also have the honor of supporting women as they prepare to give birth, um, support them in labor through the practice of steaming, as well as help them recover after birth. Um, so if you've never heard of womb steaming, it also goes by the name of yoni steaming, vaginal steaming, pelvic saunas, pelvic steaming, um, bahos, chayok. It has different names in different cultures. Tabkhir raham. Um, in some cultures, there's a variation with dry steaming that's known as dukhan. Um, but essentially, every culture has a history of some form of steaming, whether it's wet steaming or dry steaming. Steaming is essentially women's original gynecology. So before we have, before we've had the practice of gynecology as we know it now, which many of the tools and practices were introduced when men were introduced into the birthing space, the gynecological health space, et cetera. Um, prior to then, um, we've had steaming as our tool, our tool to support, um, you know, reproductive health, vaginal health, sexual health, reproductive health. And so with steaming, basically what you're doing is exposing the vulva, the perineum, the pelvis to, to steam, the benefit of steam. And we know that by the nature of steam, it's warming, it increases circulation. And with the added benefit of tailoring the use of herbs to match the needs of the user, we then have steaming as a way to administer the benefit of of herbal properties, um, medicinal herbs, therapeutic herbs, et cetera. Um, so it's really a beautiful way to very gently support women in a way that's not invasive. You know, Most of what we associate with gynecology and obstetrics is very invasive and it's very exposing and it can be um, very uncomfortable. But what's beautiful about steaming is that it's so gentle. Um, it's antithetical to all those things it actually feels good <laughs> so yeah, yeah. many people think oh how how hot or how much do I have to endure when people think of heat they sometimes they're thinking of like a full body sauna but actually steaming is um it's so gentle and it's so soothing and I think it's rare that we have this association with something being good for me but it also feels really good to me. I don't have to stick it out and no pain, no gain and force myself to do it and endure hardship <laughs> to get the benefit. It actually is something that smells good and feels good and, and, and is good to the body in so many ways. Yeah, definitely. And with the steaming, would you um, recommend a steaming stool as well, just for ease of like use and I do, I do. Traditionally, um, you know, we didn't have all of the fancy stools mm. that we have now. However, I, I'll take that back. I mean, you can still find um, some cultures do have a purpose-built seat for steaming, especially in the Malay culture. Yeah. Um, I find that a lot of uh, Malay mothers that I know, whether they originate from Indonesia, Malaysia, or Singapore, there's a chair that they will circulate in their communities for the afterbirth mm. steaming. Um, uh, they they will circulate it and it's essentially a chair with a hole in the center so it doesn't require um, a lot of complication however traditionally in some parts of the world women would just dig a pit and squat over um, a pit that they would dig I mean you still find in Central America um, women will use a type of metal bucket 
they will put the medicinal herbs and after they've been boiled and warmed into like a bucket and then put two planks of wood and create a seat okay. over it. Yeah. Um, so yes, I find stools to be especially helpful if you are nearing the end of your pregnancy or if you're steaming in labor or after birth so that you're not straining, squatting or doing too many acrobatics or if general in general, if there's any mobility challenges, then yeah, uh, yeah, a stool is a really, really helpful way to um, to ensure that you're maintaining a safe distance above the steam and a comfortable um, overall steaming experience. And steaming is usually ranging from like 10 to 30 minutes. So you don't need to be preparing yourself for an hour of squatting or something mm -hmm. very intensive, yeah. but um, it can, having a stool could make it a lot more comfortable. And, um, and yeah, I think also, it's just really interesting to see all the different ways it's practiced around the world, right? In Morocco, you'll see that women will kind of sit on a low stool, for example, mm. and just wear like a skirt or a dress and tuck mm. it under the dress. Um, and I've actually seen pictures from Sudan where they will use like a, a old tire and then sit the pot inside of the tire oh, wow. and put over it. Um, so yeah, it's interesting to see all the different iterations yeah. um, that how it shows up in uh, in the world, but everywhere in the inhabited world, we we see a tradition somewhere. So even if it seems like oh that sounds like it's some foreign thing or from some other culture, there are roots of steaming that can be found on every inhabited continent. So some of the oldest gynecological books in Europe will make reference to steaming. Um, you have uh, the, the oldest Egyptian medical texts still written on papyrus that will make mention of steaming. Um, we see it in Korea, we see it in China, we see it throughout Africa, throughout different indigenous communities all over the world. But I find that it's most practice, like from what we've researched and gathered, it's still practice in countries where, where women still, like midwives, like lay midwives, midwives who learn through experience and like apprenticeship in cultures where that tradition is still very intact. That's where we tend to see the strongest tradition of um, steaming still alive today when those lay midwives haven't been pushed out of the birthing space. Right, exactly, yeah. yeah. From the traditional midwifery perspective that still mm -hmm. some midwives are still, you know, maintaining here as well, yeah. Mm -hmm. And is there a desired, like, as I listen to you, I'm just imagining the physiological um, position that one would be in when one is steaming. And I'm just thinking for the listeners out there who've never steamed before, is there like, depending on, well, probably depending on the temperature of the water during the steaming, I'm just imagining, is there a distance, that, a desired distance or recommended distance between yourself, your body and the actual water, as it were, because steam can actually burn as well. So is there a distance and desired like temperature or recommended temperature? Well, we always uh, refer the, the user to put their hand over the steam first, always check with the hand how it feels, but it's a bit like a shower or a cup of tea. You know how people have different tolerances right, for different yeah. temperatures. So it always comes back to the user. At what temperature does it feel good to you? Sure. And, and it's actually really unfortunate because um, sometimes as practitioners, we have to actually read the 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 nonverbal communication of the user because again we have these beliefs that I have to endure and I have to stick it out and do these things that are uncomfortable to me mm -hmm. because they're supposed to be good for me and so when you find either that in yourself or in your client that they can't comfortably sit on the temperature then more than likely it's too hot there is no right temperature the right temperature is the temperature that feels good to the user that feels soothing now obviously um, if a person doesn't have nerve sensation in the vulva, so if you've ever heard of someone getting burned during steaming, that has been in cases where a person had neuropathy or they didn't have nerve sensation in the vulva. So obviously being around any, you know, extreme temperature is going to be dangerous to someone who doesn't have nerve sensation, right? Mm -hmm. The risk for burning could be very real. Or if a person is committed to in their mind doing this thing that they believe they're supposed to do even though their body is saying no this does not okay. feel good to me yeah um, so so as a practitioner if we're offering steaming to a client it's really important to make sure both verbally and non-verbally we see this full-bodied 
yes response to the feeling that it feels good that there's relaxation that there's this um release and this loosening not this tightening or constriction or difficulty or squirming or discomfort you know yeah 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 and so with regards to um in birth work i'm really intrigued personally to know about and also perhaps maybe other people will be too what are the benefits of steaming during pregnancy because I don't know when we're pregnant we have all these like things we do's and don'ts you know and um, I can't so much so many things that we're not supposed to do and maybe some of us depending on our cultural backgrounds or whatever environments we might have been kind of conditioned to believing that something like steaming may not be safe during and these are not my words by the way Chantal Mm-hmm. I'm just giving a little exploration of idea out here. So imagine that, yeah. you know, some people may be exposed to the idea or the belief that something like steaming um, is considered to be unsafe during pregnancy or even labor. I would mm-hmm. love postpartum. We can probably imagine it's we can imagine how it could be more beneficial and slightly less unsafe. However, mm-hmm. during pregnancy and labor, I would love to know how you could um, recommend steaming to birth workers who are supporting pregnant women or even pregnant women themselves mm-hmm. yeah so from the so many women who begin a steaming practice especially if they're steaming to help support their conception wishes or support their fertility it's very common that a person will be steaming and not realize that oh i'm pregnant should i still continue steaming that's always the question that comes up Right. Um, so gen- generally, we discourage steaming throughout pregnancy until the mother has reached full term. Okay. We know that, that we know that the nature of steam is to open it and to clear out spaces, and you don't want to risk, you know, opening the cervix prematurely. You don't want to risk re- any kind of release happening in an early pregnancy and throughout the duration of the pregnancy. However, what we have found is that when a a mother is full term, when she reaches full term, whether that's defined as 36 weeks, you know, you know how these definitions change over time, whether 36, 37 or 38 weeks, if if you're depending on how you're even counting um, the the, uh, gestational age, um, what we find is that steaming at the end of the pregnancy can be really supportive in promoting elasticity of the perineum, Mm. um, softening the cervix, Mm -hmm. relaxing tendons in the pelvic floor, and just all overall giving uh, mothers a a sense of relaxation. And so one of the practitioners, so I trained with the Peristine Hydrotherapy Institute, and one of our practitioners um, serves in the Czech Republic. And there was a practice that was still, you know, there, uh, there's a use of a product called the Epino, um, and it's kind of like an inflatable balloon that women yeah. would use at home to yeah. stretch the perineum. Yeah. And of course, in some cases, the women were overstretching and they were tearing. Um, but this one practitioner, what she observed oh. is that when women steamed before using this, um, this device, this perineum stretching device, they actually could stretch their perineum up to two centimeters wider. And so what they were able to do um, as she was able to introduce that practice to midwives and also nurses and doctors, even in their hospitals, what they noticed is that when the women steamed prior to labor or in labor, they saw a lower incidence of tears. So you're getting that blood flow and any part of the body that's getting more blood flow is going to have greater elasticity. It's going to have improved function. And also what midwives observe when they have, when they work with clients who are steaming and they check their cervix, they can always note how soft the cervix is. Oh, wow. um, so they'll notice that, wow, your cervix is so soft. So at any, at whenever the, um, you know, the surges or the contractions start to pick up, we tend to see tendency is towards very easy dilation, effortless dilation. Um, that's one of the ways we see that the steaming is impactful as well. Um, and then steaming immediately after in the very early postpartum is super helpful for relieving the um, uterine cramps. The uterine right. cramps after pains, it. yes. Yes, yeah, super helpful. Like it's oh. immediate, more immediate results. It's so helpful for relieving. Okay. I mean, 
I got to experience that with my third birth mm -hmm. um, last year. And um, yeah, it was profound because the, you know, I remember very clearly with my second birth, how difficult the uterine cramping was, those right. after pains, and to not feel it at all after only one steam session in the early postpartum was, was really quite a relief. I think that that's incredible. That's really key. I think I've had a lot of sisters asking me, you know, who've had multiple um, pregnancies and babies, you know, so they're, they're at their fourth baby and the after pains are excruciating. In fact, a lot of sisters tell me those who have um, natural births, as in, you know, spontaneous birth, the baby came of its own accord and there was no intervention um, and the baby was born without assistance. I find that those sisters have have said they have had the worst after pains um, mm. and they feel it literally as the baby starts latching in the mm -hmm. colostrum days you know where it's just resting just sitting and the excruciating pain is almost puts them off breastfeeding because it's so yeah. subhanallah that is yeah. so key and those days they're asking what can I do what can I take mm -hmm. and there are various tinctures herbal tinctures that you can take etc but actually mm -hmm. you know what um, it would be amazing to have someone like yourself to provide support to these sisters. You know, if I could sign most signpost my clients to Chantal, you know, go and yeah. speak to her, inshallah. Or even yeah. when they're pregnant, I can say mm -hmm. there is a sister who can support you. Um, do you provide virtual services, sis? Do you provide? Yes. You do? Yeah, yes. I do. So I have a I have a consultation package that's specifically for labor prep and postpartum steaming. So amazing. you'll have um you'll know exactly what herbs to be using, mm -hmm. how to use them, and when to use them from the time you reach full term, leading up to your labor, how to change the herbs, which herbs you should be using and how you should use them in labor before the water breaks, after the water breaks, et cetera. And then how to do your, initiate your postpartum steaming. And postpartum is really the, the most universally known practice of steaming around the world. That, that, that period of time, we can see such rapid change in the body, right? We know about our faster metabolism rate all of the shifting that the body is doing so what we find is that the way that steaming is able to support that early postpartum recovery can yeah. really turn around um soreness hemorrhoids um yeah. urinary retention in the early postpartum as well it's very helpful um, in my personal experience um steaming helped me with a retained placenta that was really challenging. So I didn't have to um, risk, you know, the hemorrhage of, you know, that could yeah. happen with manual expulsion or, yeah. um, you know, or, or using synthetic uh, yeah. pitocin and what have you. So, yeah. so yeah, there, I, I, I love to make, I love to ensure that women have that as a tool in their tool belt. And I really think every doula, every birth worker should know how to access and just how to use steaming as a tool it may not be everything that you need but it's a great tool to offer if right. you find that you're at a labor and it's stalling that's how it's used in the hospitals in Czech Republic right when a, a mother comes in in early labor and she her labor stalls because she's in a new environment or she's right. anxious right the lights are on yeah everything is on her or she's you know just Early, it's just early, you know, and things aren't moving along. So they just offer, they she's welcome to stay. You know, they don't send the mothers home generally, but they offer, would you like to steam? And they find it's able to kind of keep the tempo of labor while the mother still has her stamina, her energy and her encouragement. You know how discouraging it can be for a mother who right. feels like she should be further along than she is or feeling like she doesn't have, the energy to go on so just being able to offer her something that'll help just relax her kind of ground her into the present moment but actively help support the labor in a steady progress yeah that's really beautiful and there's always this language I mean over here in the UK we have we have we need a kind of language reform I think on the the oh, words yeah. around <laughs> birth so this mm -hmm. kind of you know you get to hospital clients will arrive people sisters arrive and they, they you know they're told you're only four or only three centimeters mm -hmm. this only just affects their their whole like mood you know everything they feel yeah um it can be so detrimental they don't forget this even you know it causes huge trauma too 
Um, oh, yeah. So it's so beautiful that in, in some countries and some places they're doing such positive things to support physiological birth. It's so refreshing mm -hmm. to hear. I had no mm -hmm. idea about Czech Republic doing this, for example. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and that started with a practitioner and a, a practitioner who, you know, her own midwife witnessed um, the effect and the impact of steaming. And then just slowly she started teaching um, you know, doing classes and teaching um, other medical professionals and presenting at local conferences. And so wow. I'm like, get, get some papers written. We, yeah, need to, yeah. <laughs> yeah. we need to spread this far and wide so that people will recognize it and regard it as viable. It's not hard to introduce in the hospital setting if, if there's willingness, you know. Okay. Um, you know, my, my main instructor, Kelly Garza, she always talks about how easy it could be. You already have in hospital setting those those back chairs, right? For, for people who have mobility challenges. It, it's a it, it's a perfect steaming setup. It's exactly. a chair with a hole in the center. Yeah. And, and you don't even have to introduce herbs if you don't want to. You can right. use saline. You are if you're concerned about, you know, contamination, you can use sterile saline. We don't have to create these mental barriers to something as simple as warmth, steam, <laughs> circulation. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a win-win for, for mothers and medical professionals. Yeah. And so soothing as well. Oh, yeah. So cleansing. Oh, and, yeah. and it gives an actual, it gives mothers something. It gives them an actual practice, right? Um, right. They give birth and whatever that, whether there were tears or stitches or whatever it, it gives her a somatic practice to start to really get some closure around the experience not just all right we're gonna send you home with some pads go figure it out you know it's like there is an opportunity to to, to give something nourishing to the mother that feels good to her yes. that begins the healing process in a very physiologic way not just like go figure it out you know totally take some pills here some some pain yeah. medicine and some cold packs and you know go figure it out yeah and it also it maintains the independence that the woman has during her labor that she is mm -hmm. actually in control you know mm -hmm. you're doing this this is your choice and it's it's she's engaging in a physical act which supports her labor her labor because a lot of the time when we're in labor if we're in hospital settings it's this kind of key theme of handing over our labor to the other mm -hmm whoever that mm -hmm. other may be, a midwife and, you know, one HCP, a healthcare profession of some mm -hmm. sort, we feel that it, often they, we are overtaken, the control mm -hmm. gets handed over. Whereas what a beautiful thing to have steaming offered. It means mm -hmm. the mommy's still in control. She's still mm -hmm. doing her thing. And mm -hmm. you're right. It's something she can take home knowing that she was engaging. It will probably help her relax. It'll probably oh, help yeah. her, you know, naturally get comfortable in her role of, of the labor, take control again. Because when they do come into hospital, um, it's a whole new setting. And you're right, labor stools. Labor is like, you know, well known that labor stools when people arrive at hospital. Um, so what a lovely thing to be doing. Um, I really hope that, you know, I don't know if it doesn't look like it might happen, but if birth workers can incorporate this as part of their service for mothers, whoever they, wherever they are and whoever they are, um, I think that would be a lovely tool to have with them. Um, as an offering for anybody to to take as an option you know if they'd like to it's something yeah. that a birth worker offers what a beautiful thing and of course any birth workers out there who are listening right now and want to know more information about how they could possibly add this as another tool to their belt during their birth work supporting women in birth then do contact Chantal inshallah I'm sure that she will be able to support support you right Chantal Yes. Yeah. I have a consultation available for birth workers so that we can go over, you know, where you are, what kind of herbs you should be using, what's the most effective and safe way, how to make sure you have all of your, your uh, first aid measures in place, you know, that you can confidently offer steaming to your clients and labor. It's not as hard people in their minds. It's probably harder than it actually is in practice. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's so, so soothing, especially for the postpartum. And it could be, it can really, I, I say that steaming and birth work has the potential to be life-saving and birth changing. Right. Because if you think about how a gentle intervention can help the mother being who's being labeled as you know she's failing to progress or her cervix is incompetent and all of these negative things mm -hmm. that are thrown at us if we just have something so gentle that can uplift and shift that energy you know um you know that 
especially when we start getting into cervical checks and getting preoccupied with these numbers, um, you know, it, it really does remind moms that you don't have to, you're not going, your body is not working along on a, a chart or a table of some sort, you know, that, that shift, that transition can come with the right support and with that down regulation, one thing that we notice also with steaming in general is that mothers tend to, women tend to have a, a very tangible emotional release when they steam. And so when we look at it and we're trying to understand what's happening here, you also have the vagus nerve, right? If we know right. that the vagus nerve kind of concludes in the cervix and you're getting that stimulation from the steam, maybe that's how we can explain this deep relaxation we see. Mothers will sleep really well after steaming, or you'll see that kind of nervous system downregulation. Even in the postpartum, we notice when mothers steam, more milk is coming. They can feel, feel their, their milk coming in. Um, so what's happening Why we're getting this oxytocin release during steaming? What's happening Why we're seeing that really um, beautiful nervous system deregulation? Something's happening there. And um, so to be able to offer that to a mother going through the transition of, of labor and birthing, um, it's really a beautiful offering. Yeah, definitely. It's beautiful. And do you support, I know you mentioned earlier about the trying to conceive, you know, the conception journey as well and mm -hmm. how you know there was that point where if someone is a woman is um trying to conceive and she reaches a point where she's found out she's pregnant but she's still steaming um mm -hmm. during that period how can you like enlighten because I I also have a lot of sisters that do listen in on my podcast and mm -hmm. um who are in that position so they're trying to find natural ways to conceive and yes. have had you know various issues I mean what what kind of support uh, have you got any top tips or any recommendations with regards to steaming that they might be able to take home and definitely try to maybe contact you about, you know, if it's something you can yeah. suggest anything? Yes. Yeah. There are a couple of things that I feel like don't get attention, a couple of, of issues or challenges that show up. And when women come to their medical care providers, they're not even discussed. It's like, okay, if you've been trying for a year, then we need to move on to IVF and fertility technologies what, and what have you. But there's some basics that are not addressed and steaming can really be supportive. So the first issue that I see is a common challenge with women who are struggling with conception is that this, their cycles, their menstrual cycles are a bit on the short end. So it's really hard to time conception and there's not enough time for the uterine lining to build up enough. So these are women who are having like menstrual cycles that are less than every 25 days, for example, like they're maybe having a period every 21 days, 22, yeah. 23 days, it's really hard to build up adequate uterine lining when the cycle is so short. And so in that case, what we would do is use herbs that are supportive of the menstrual cycle to lengthen it a bit, right? right. So in that case, that gives them a bit more time to build uterine lining so you can have successful implantation and they have more time to actually conceive like to actually yeah. time the conception and anticipate ovulation yeah well. yeah exactly the other issue that we tend to see is there's not enough fertile cervical mucus and mm -hmm. by the nature of steaming it is very lubricating it's very moisturizing and when you're stimulating the the reproductive organs you know you're stimulating the ovaries the uterus and what have you then what we tend to see is more fertile cervical mucus as well mm -hmm. um if there are challenges around recurring infections, that can be a challenge and steaming can be helpful with the right um, kinds of herbs and the right steaming schedule. Um, recurring infections can be addressed with steaming. And then also painful intercourse comes up a lot and there's not a lot of space to talk about it. And so um, I will talk with clients who have had failed IVF and they've been trying for so long and then at some point, you know, when we get to a, a, a place in our rapport, I'll just ask, you know, is, is intercourse painful or difficult for you? And it's like, of course, yeah, it always is. Isn't mm -hmm. it supposed to be that way? Mm -hmm. And then again, that's another area where steaming can be really supportive and just recenter pleasure in the space of intimacy, right? Intimacy is not just baby making. Right. You know, it's if your body is having a physically negative reaction to the act of intimacy, the act of intercourse, then 
you know, how can you not see that that's going to be a, a barrier to conception? You're just like, okay, let me just endure and stick out this painful intercourse, whether the, the pain is, is coming from a condition like vaginismus, that's more kind of psychologically rooted with the physical mm -hmm. manifestation, or if it's coming from, um, you know, other areas like fibroids or cysts or, um, you know, different physiologic barriers that can make intercourse painful or is it a lack of lubrication yeah. is there a lack of sensation and again when you introduce warmth you're bringing sensation you're bringing circulation yeah. um, you know you're bringing lubrication and all three of those are going to help make um, sexual intimacy marital intimacy more pleasurable and that's going to improve the likelihood of conception and that doesn't really get a lot of attention or centering in the conversation around fertility challenges so um, yeah. that's something that I, I tend to see coming up a lot and then you also have some cases where the menstrual cycle is is very long so right. um, the period is not coming once like on unless it's every other month or every two months. And again, steaming can help to bring in that menstrual cycle. So it's a bit more timely. The ovulation is more predictable and you have more chances to conceive in a calendar year if you're having a period every month as opposed to once every two months. Right. Yeah, exactly. Particularly with postpartum sisters that I've um, you know, kept in contact with. And mm -hmm. I know personally, you know, in the field of just being with the other business that I was telling you briefly about before we started mm -hmm. our podcast, um, I've discovered that sisters have very irregular periods postpartum. So particularly mm -hmm. those who breastfeed. So we mm -hmm. breastfeed, you know, as Muslim, most Muslim sisters I know who do breastfeed after and can breastfeed, we breastfeed for up to two years. So mm -hmm. we're giving our children their full huck, inshallah. So two years of breastfeeding and sometimes the breastfeeding is well more than not it's actually it, it's amazing because it can um act as a um uh sorry my brain has gone a bit contraception i tried to remember what the word was <laughs> but yeah it, it's kind of like a method of con contraception it's not for everyone of course i'm just mm -hmm. i'm not saying that it can be i'm just saying that it, it has been known to be for some uh, it has actually been for me so i'm speaking personally here um mm -hmm. it's been amazing not for every pregnancy post-pregnancy but you know mm -hmm. majority of the time uh, being a full-time um, on-demand breastfeeder for up to two years can have contraceptive um, uh, powers, as it were. But um, mm. some sisters have experienced that beyond sort of six months postpartum, eight months postpartum, their periods start returning. And when they do mm. start to return, it's usually around eight months, I think, from sisters that I know of. Um, mm. From eight months onwards, it can be so irregular. So you could have a period every six weeks sometimes, um, mm. sometimes there's a space so they'll have a period and then there'll be no period for two months maybe they didn't ovulate Allahu alam. it's just very very complicated for them I guess this would be also an optimum time for steaming am I right oh yes oh yes yeah we at a certain point when we are wanting to when the cycle is re-establishing itself when mm -hmm. we steam on a regular schedule we encourage that bleed to come up on a timely way we encourage that ovulation to be well supported um so yeah it's definitely helpful with keeping the timeliness of your your period okay amazing and I had I'll just say so I've, I remember a sister of mine who used to steam and the reason why I'd asked at the beginning about the stool maybe investing mm -hmm. in a stool is quite a nice thing I mean obviously there are lots of bits that we can add on to things that are essentially very simple and we can keep them simple um mm -hmm. but it might be useful for, for sisters because I remember a sister who did steam and she would steam over a bowl and she'd mm -hmm. put the bowl on the floor and she'd just kind of wear a long skirt and mm -hmm. just hover over the bowl. Yep. Squatting, essentially. Mm -hmm. But not all sisters are able, you know, either physically or, you know, physiologically able to hover in a squat position over a bowl for mm -hmm. up to 20 minutes, 15 minutes, however long they choose to do it for, 30 minutes maximum maybe, um, mm -hmm. It could be quite uncomfortable. So if, if, have you got any top tips for positions for steaming? If you don't have a, um, a steaming stool, like a proper um, steaming stool, have you got any personal top tips from your experience that you can recommend to the sisters that just want to do it, but might not have the actual setup as it were? Yeah, I think a, like a supported squat is really helpful. So whether you use a yoga block to do that, or if you're using a, 
like an ottoman, like a low footstool or a high cushion, something that just would support you in, in a low seat. Okay. And like you said, having your skirt and you can just kind of tuck it under or if you have a blanket or a throw, um, even prayer garments, because they tend to be so wide and spacious, can be really helpful for trapping steam. Mm -hmm. um, so that's a setup that I find is the easiest to do, just figuring out how can I um, sit in a supported low seat or low squat and then um, just tucking your steaming bowl or pot as long make sure your pot or bowl is non-plastic right. so preferably ceramic or glass or clay or stainless steel something stable mm -hmm. non-reactive yeah um, another option that i've seen work well is um, if you have two dining chairs mm -hmm. and you face the chairs as if two people are facing each other in a in a seat Mm -hmm. like in their seats. And so you just put a little gap between those two seats and you sit perpendicular. So imagine you have one butt cheek on one chair and the other on the other. Okay. It creates a little void in between those two seats. So again, that's taking two dining chairs, standard dining chairs, mm -hmm. facing them to each other and then putting a gap between them and okay. letting your steam come up through that gap. So putting your steaming pot between those two chairs yeah. and then um, positioning yourself so you're facing perpendicular to the direction of the chairs. Yeah, that um, makes sense. And, and then I have I have some creative clients who have used like <laughs> toilet camp, you know, like um, camping toilet seats. Oh yeah, yeah. Yep. Or if they've had a camping chair and just cutting out the center. Oh, yeah, so cutting the center out. Yeah, yeah, that's clever. Yeah. Yeah, yep. I've, I've seen that. I'm trying to think what else people have come up with. Those are probably the most clever scenarios yeah. I've seen so far, but it doesn't, it's, it's only as hard as we make it, you know, it can be as easy if we're committed to figuring it out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's so interesting listening to where, you know, the, I had no idea also how widespread culturally steaming was mm -hmm. um, historically. No, I just yeah. didn't realize that culturally and historically, it's really interesting to hear. Um, we always see, you know, in the history, there's always been a bowl of hot steaming water by the side of women when they're giving birth, you know, mm -hmm. um, even cloths, hot mm -hmm. compress cloth with mm -hmm. hot or not totally hot, but very warm water is so good as well. Um, mm -hmm. I know that's used during labor. Um, sometimes midwives will put it around the perineum. Mm -hmm just to ease and well to inshallah I guess reduced tearing um mm -hmm. but you know it's and just to give that warmth that that warm feeling so yes yeah, panala so mm -hmm. interesting and of course water birth you know having having a water yeah. birth is um steaming and water birth dipping in and out whether you choose mm -hmm. to give birth or physiologically give birth on land in the actual end outcome but the actual process of while you're in labor and you know giving birth and the labor process is going, giving birth in water and steaming mm -hmm. simultaneously. Is that, is that great too? Like hopping from one to the other? Are they complementary? Um, I guess they could be. I didn't really, I mean, I, I guess, um, you know, whatever feels good to the mother. I do think that there's a point in labor where steaming is harder to maintain. In early labor, you know, it's fine. But there is a point in labor where, where movement is more likely going to feel more intuitively right than sitting yeah. in one place. Yeah. steaming so so yeah I guess there there could yeah. be openness to that as well if when we're going in and out um you know you definitely would have the benefit of the warmth of the water and and that has its own impact on the perineum yeah. but to kind of more of that internal reach yeah steaming would be great in that case um and back to what you're saying about the different cultures mm. you know I think that um particularly East African culture Arab culture you know the bukhur standing over mm. the smoking you know whether the use of resins like frankincense and myrrh being used or different medicinal herbs or leaves you know that's that's an extension of steaming also it's a different form of steaming in a right. way right that would be the dry steaming, the duchan or the bukhur, as they would call it, and standing over it. Um, and so we tend to see it as more, um, you know, like aesthetic or, you know, like for the scent, you know, people tend to steam for the scent, but it can also have a therapeutic property as well, depending on what's being burned, what's emitting the smoke as well. So that might be another way that people can kind of open into the practice. Like, oh yeah, that's familiar. I've seen 
someone do that before. It's not totally foreign to to me or my culture or my heritage. Mm-hmm. Subhanallah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, I mean, incense, bakor, these things that we burn, we burn our bakor, agar, whatever it may be, luban, luban being mm-hmm. the frankincense. Mm-hmm. Subhanallah, I had no idea that you could, can you steam? Well, not steam, sorry, smoke, I guess. Can you smoke? <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's different. It's like smoking out instead of steaming almost. Can you yeah. use luban? Well, you can. Yeah, you can use luban, you can use myrrh. Um, what is interesting, um, and in traditional Chinese medicine, they, they have they have the understanding, also in Ayurveda, Ayurveda medicine, mm-hmm. traditional Chinese medicine, there is a time when smoking is more appropriate and a time where steaming is more appropriate. And so generally the idea is um, steaming is more opening, whereas smoking is more closing. Right. And so, and so there are times where closing might be more of the effect that you need, especially if you have a woman who's a heavy bleeder or prone yeah. to hemorrhage yeah. or having short cycles. In her case, closing um, might be more the energetic of what she needs, whereas birth is more time of opening. I never right. heard of smoking and labor, but okay. if, if if steaming has more of an opening effect, then then yeah, you can see how that would be more appropriate in a birthing sense. But maybe postpartum steaming, uh, smoking could also be helpful afterwards, as well as you know, there, there's space for both of them really. So interesting. So I was I'm just suddenly thinking. My mind goes now. So I was a Christian before I was a Muslim. I reverted to Islam. Wow, over ten years ago now. Mm-hmm. And as a Christian, obviously we know that when Isa when Jesus was born. Mm-hmm. The, there were kings who came from the east, three kings, mm-hmm. and they brought frankincense, myrrh, and gold. Each were bearing gifts. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. why would they have brought frankincense and myrrh, subhanAllah? But maybe it's because mm-hmm. these would have been beneficial to the mother, Mary, um, mm-hmm. Mariam, may Allah have mercy on her, after she'd mm-hmm. given birth. Hmm. That's an interesting way to look at it. Um, it's it's very plausible. I mean, there was there's so many um medicinal benefits to frankincense and myrrh too. So, yeah, totally. Um, yeah, w- whether it's consumed, you know, you can put it in. You know, it's from cosmetic practice yeah, yeah, yeah. to put put it in the water and yeah. drink it. Drink it. And, yeah. Um, you know, has very disinfecting qualities. So yeah. so yeah, I wow. mean, it's certainly valuable but that would be interesting to to know who yeah, was the concept <laughs> yeah because yeah. of course as you say they could be burned they could be put in water to drink they could some luban is chewable like chewy thanks yep. Sudanese luban is chewy mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. it depends where you get the luban from but yeah. yes pala wow the, the the mind boggles i wonder it just makes, <laughs> it more, makes everything so much more real what i love about the religion dean mm-hmm. dean in yeah. general religion is so amazing because it is it is so closely connected to history. Mm-hmm. So when we look at the historical um, processes and lineage of certain aspects mm-hmm. of cultures, we can start to relate and correlate between them. Um, and this is something I just I get really excited about when obviously as a revert, we kind of get this excitement about where Christianity becomes real in history and where mm-hmm. Islam then appears and it becomes clear, you know, mm-hmm. And it just, oh, subhanAllah, it just makes me so, yeah, it gets, it gets me a bit excited about things like that. But anyway. And even that whole birth, you know, that's the story of an assisted birth. That's, right. where, you know, we see upright birthing, we right. see eating and drinking and labor. Free birth, uh, essentially. Yes, it's a free birth, right? It's a free birth <laughs> outdoors in nature. Yeah. yeah. Dates, so, nourishment. You know, yeah. I think that's also something to to take some some wisdom from when we find ourselves relying on uh, medical structures and right. and medical systems, and not to say that there isn't a time and place for uh, those systems to be a means to right. um, you know safety and wellness. But yeah. ultimately, you know, birth is an opportunity to experience the 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 direct protection of your Lord as well. You know, and yeah. uh, and, and trusting in the design of your body and the design exactly. of how you were created to yeah. birth. We were created to birth and we need to not let technology and diplomas um, take us from our our birthright, you know, like we were we were created for this. Absolutely. This trust between ourselves and our body, trust our body. And we've mm-hmm. been conditioned to trusting in anything else and other than. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, we, we can we've been told. 
Yeah. yeah, you know, where we're actually giving a lot of very damaging messaging that your body is too small, or it can't do it, or it's broken, you know, but like, again, what we said about this language and competent service, it's really, it's an insult to our creator, that Absolutely. we would insult the birthing woman's body, thinking that it's wrong for birth, you know, just in its very nature. Um, you know, we, we have to be very critical of systems that inherently fear birth and inherently see birth as risky. Yeah. Um, damaging that birth is damaging in some way that it's um, unsafe. Yeah. Um, we really need to be critical yeah. of those systems. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that's very, very true. And, you know, without, you know, it's very hard nowadays to not look at birth without, particularly in the UK, without considering it from, unfortunately, a very political angle, because mm-hmm. over the last year, certainly since I had my son in July 2021, it birth mm-hmm. has become highly political in this country Mm. we've had documentaries um which are essentially trying to um medicalize birth to the point that Mm. it is considered as almost like an illness you know when you give birth Mm. you are going to have pain it does not come without pain we had a documentary called this is going to hurt and it was pretty horrific i didn't watch it i watched a snippet of it and that was enough for me to see but you know the nhs system so the national health service and the way that they run they run things um, the fact that they're they're so short-staffed and all the what what else they're going through, the idea that we are not safe, hospitals are no longer safe. It is now established that that it is not safe to give birth in a hospital in the UK. It's just mm-hmm. not safe. So we've got newspaper articles. I've shared some of it on my Instagram. I will continue to share it. I know the sisters and 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 I work for and with Muslim sisters, and that is my niche. Um, mm-hmm. I know that probably the whole people who are giving birth out there are not safe, but my niche are Muslim women. We are very vulnerable, um, you know, particularly women from black and Asian backgrounds, they were very vulnerable and have been for years, but it's not, you know, the, the campaign of five times more, um, that five uh, black women and Asian women die five times more in childbirth than others. Um, this is very serious, but it's not mm. only that, it's also Muslim women too. And Muslim mm. women can be black and they can be Asian and they can be of other origin. And Mm -hmm. Muslim women are very much at risk um, and they need safeguarding from these places, such as hospitals. Mm -hmm. We need doulas and birth workers to be prepared to support women. If they do choose to give birth in hospital for whatever reason, we have to be with them. Inshallah, Mm -hmm. the more we can support women in those circumstances, we can hope for a better birth outcome for them. That's all we can do. Um, Mm -hmm. Their choice is theirs and we support Mm -hmm. choice and informed choice. Um, but giving birth wherever you can maintain authority of it and control over it to the best of your ability is really the best thing you can do now because the situation over here is is very very can be potentially very harmful Mm. so anything as lovely as you know all of these beautiful things you have shared with us today Chantal um, I really hope that sisters can take some information um, from this and some courage that there are ways that we can take take control of our birth, labor, and postpartum period um, as much as we like. And planning birth, planning before you have a baby, thinking, you know, I'm going to have this, this, and this in my birth. I'm going to invest in this and this and this. I'm going to have this support. We, we normally go into pregnancy kind of, wow, I'm just going to have a baby. And we go with it and we just go with it. But I think now, now is a time we need to prepare before we have a baby. Obviously it's Qadr Allah when we get pregnant, that is in the hands of Allah. But the idea that once we know we're pregnant, please sisters, take some time to think and think, what do I need? Because there's so much more you need than buggies and you know side-by-side yeah. Chico beds. And we need all that stuff. Of course we do, car seats, the lot, we need it all. But we really need to look at the side of things that we're not focusing on. The support postpartum, the recovery period, the nourishment. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. the nourishment prenatally, during mm-hmm. birth, labor, support birth partners, support network, all these things, meal planning, postpartum plan. We need these things. Um, so I'm terribly grateful for um, mm-hmm. for you coming today, Chantal. Jazakallah khair, may Allah reward you. It's extraordinarily like rare to find sisters in the fields like this. We are not, if they are in the field, we're not, we're not sharing, they're not shared, they're not heard of. Um, so I'm really hoping that we can create um, a network for our ummah so that worldwide, globally, we can, um, you know, we can 
start to share all the things that we've got to offer for all our sisters and children. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, thank you so much for coming. Um, so yeah, did you have anything else you'd like to add before I wrap up the recording? Is there anything you wanted to say? Hmm. Um, related to birth, not specifically, but right now I'm quite passionate about how we raise the next generation. Yeah. And so I am personally working on um, a book to help teenagers know how to holistically care for their periods and so that they can start cultivating this trust in their bodies, this awareness of their fertility, as well as a healthy period from the start. You know, not waiting until they're married and wanting to have a child to then realize all the work that's to be done. So um, I ask for your your sincere prayers and seeing it to completion. I hope that it'll yeah. be available and published um, by next year, inshallah. And um, yeah, just you can follow Honored Boom um, to see when it will be available and whether they're free offerings I have. Amazing. Yeah, please do send me all your, um, you know, info, um, mm -hmm. contact details, inshallah, so I can attach it at the bottom of the captions and on the podcast information um, on the bio so that other sisters can definitely come contact you and inshallah benefit from everything that you offer. And may Allah mm -hmm. grant you ease and success in all your Amen. ventures. Ameen. And may Allah reward you for all the support that you've been providing to sisters up until now and inshallah in the future. I mean, thank you so much, sister. Thank you so much for coming. I really appreciate it. It's amazing. <laughs> okay, I'll close the podcast. Don't go. I will I'll, I will speak to you a little before you go, inshallah. But I'll just finish our podcast and wrap it up. So jazakallah khair to everyone who's come to listen. And most importantly, jazakallah khair to Chantal for coming and sharing all this beautiful information with us. May Allah make it easy for us to continue with our births and our pregnancies and are growing our children and inshallah may Allah protect all the families in the ummah ameen ameen assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh